ways that we can. Uh, this morning, what I'd like to do is take you back to the book of Ruth for one final uh, sermon. Who knows when the next time we'll be here, so I've, I really uh, felt like we needed to kind of get our gaze back into that particular story one more time uh, before jumping into Easter and then uh, the next sermon series coming up. The next sermon series, by the way, will deal with uh, the battle of addiction and how Jesus redeems us from life-dominating struggles like that. So uh, stay tuned in for that in the coming in the coming weeks. But for this morning, we're jumping back into Ruth and during times of uncertainty, it is so important that we are thinking biblically. Uh, during times of uncertainty, it is all too easy for our thoughts and for our hearts to get carried away with every goofy conspiracy theory, with all the political perspectives, with all the big question marks. It's easy to become overwhelmed with fear, and in the midst of that, and in, in so many ways, our hearts become untethered or unanchored from, from truth. And so during these times of uncertainty, it is so important that we are thinking biblically. When we think biblically during these times, Scripture provides for us something of clarity. We gain clarity in the midst of confusion, and, and we gain comfort for our own souls. And so it's important that we would think biblically during these times. For Naomi and Ruth, their story as it's outlined in the four chapters of the book, it is something of uncertainty at every turn. Will God come through for his people? They, they, they stare in the face of need again and again and again. It is a world of uncertainty for them. And, and it is the point of the author then to point us to see something of the providence of God at work in their world of uncertainty. God, as we have defined it uh, before, it's, it's that God's providence is God's hidden hand at work in our lives. For Ruth and Naomi, uh, it is clear that the author would consistently put them to center stage through the whole storyline, and, and he would put them to center stage, and then he would kind of place them in this fog of uncertainty. And only twice do we actually see God stepping to the forefront of the storyline and actually acting on behalf of Ruth and Naomi. And, and so what the author is doing is he's, he's screaming at us to, to see between, to read between the lines, if you will, to recognize that in, in these moments of uncertainty where need stares them in the face, where they li are living in this fog of questions, it's to recognize, oh, God is incredibly active. His hidden hand is at work behind the scenes of our lives. So while life may be uncertain to us, it is not uncertain to God. God is actively working. Now the question stands, like, why? Why does the author uh, kind of orchestrate or organize this story particularly this way? Well, on one hand, what the, what the author is emphasizing is man's responsibility in times of uncertainty. 
as we've seen uh, in Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, that it, they, they become an example for us in, in how we are to walk out this life in times of uncertainty, that we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our, our own understanding. The reason why the author organizes the, the story in this way where God is in the background is because we, he, he's calling us to see and be challenged by man's responsibility in times of uncertainty. But the other reason, of course, is that the author is emphasizing the providence of God. God is actively working in times of uncertainty. While it's uncertain to us, it's never uncertain to him. He is constantly at work in times of uncertainty. Even as we'll see from the storyline, it's like you, 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 you see Ruth and Naomi's interaction, you see them take steps of faith, and as they, as they do this, it's as if the author is saying, oh, by the way, this kind of just happened to come about. Their needs just happened to be met. Well, was it happenstance or was it providence? The author's point is to get us clearly to see the providence of God, the fact that in times of uncertainty, God is always constantly at work for the good of his people. So it's important for us, folks, in a time of uncertainty, that we would think biblically, that we would get our gaze upon the providence of God and consider just how God's hand is at work in our own fog of uncertainty. Now, just before uh, talking a bit more about how God actually goes about working in our lives during times of uncertainty, I just, I just want to frame things out a little bit for you, because God's providence and God's sovereignty can oftentimes be confusing categories. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, we are talking about the greatness of God. We are talking about his, his unique control over all things. The fact that nothing stands above him, nothing rivals him and his decreed purposes. That God's purposes in all things will fully come through and they will be accomplished because God is in control. It's his transcendence, it's his greatness, it's his control over all things. It's why we could have passages in, in our scriptures that say, that say heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. It's to, it's to see the high transcendence and unflinching control that God has over all of creation. We see texts like his dominion is an everlasting dominion where none can stay his hand, Daniel chapter 4. It's the idea God is transcendent. He is above all things. He is sovereign in that sense. But providence has the idea of his imminent goodness, that God is near to his people. God is in the meticulous details of our life, actively then bringing care and provision to his creation. It speaks to the 
to the passage that perhaps would say, uh, Psalm 121, that he neither slumbers nor sleeps, but actively tends to his people. It's why throughout Scripture we can have God kind of uh, described with the metaphor that he is a shepherd, Psalm 23. He's tending to his people. So sovereignty is God's bigness, his transcendence, his ultimate control over all things, but his providence is where God steps in to creation. He steps into the meticulous details of life and he sustains creation and he provides for his creation. And therefore we see both in his sovereignty and in his providence that God is great, but God is also good. He is great, but he is good. And as a good God, in his providence, as we see from the storyline of Ruth, God is always at work. In times of uncertainty, God is always at work. During times of corona, during times of social distancing, times of pandemic, God is at work. It's important then that we would think biblically and consider just how he is at work The first way that God is constantly at work, seeing a dimension of his providence, is that God is at work in our world. God is constantly ordering and sustaining our world, from political powers to essential produce. God is ordering and sustaining it all. For instance, when we look at the broader storyline of Ruth, we see that God is bringing his people through what is referred to as the time of the judges. This is not a good time for God's people. It was this up and down of relationship uh, from God's people to God himself, a time of judgment. And, And so it's a time where God's people were in need of a king one who would actually lead them into the purposes of God and actually give them direction in their ebb and flow in relationship to their God. And so through the amazing circumstances of the storyline of Ruth, what is God providing? He's providing not only a redeemer in Boaz to marry Ruth, but then he's providing an offspring. And that offspring then brings about one of God's chosen kings, King David. The idea is that God is uniquely working in this world in a way in which to order and sustain things even when it comes to rulers and powers. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he wills. This is what God does. He is over and working in and through rulers and powers, even providing a king to his people when they so desperately needed guidance. We also find in the story of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 6, it states this, Then she arose, that's Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. 
It's one of two times in the storyline that we see God actually step to center stage and act for the good of his people. We see that it's this long famine that had gone on in, uh, in Bethlehem and in that area that God now removes the famine and brings food to them. He brings provision to them. In that sense, what is God doing? He is ordering and sustaining creation. Not only is he ordering and, and establishing rulers and powers, but he is one who's ordering and, and, and sustaining creation. Psalm 104 verse 13 says this. It says, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Folks, in times of uncertainty, we can know this. God is actively at work within our world. He is establishing and, 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 and ordering rulers and powers, but he is also ordering and sustaining all of creation. We see this so clearly, even when it comes to him uh, sustaining and ordering creation. He demonstrates his power. Even when it comes to the New Testament, we see the example of Jesus. We see him doing miraculous things. And one of the things he does is that in the midst of a storm, he orders the winds and waves to be still. Who does this? And at that moment, as the text would say, where Jesus, de he, he, he declared to the winds and the waves to be still. Every droplet stood to attention at his word. Every wave bowed in stillness to his word. God stands over creation, orders creation for the good of his people. We see Jesus in other times walking on the water. Who does that? Well, the idea is that water is a symbol of chaos. It's a, it's a symbol of uncertainty. And Jesus walks upon our uncertainties. He walks upon the waters. He walks upon the chaos. He stands over it all. He's not moved by it, but he actually works through it. He orders it for the good of his people. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, Jesus is before all things and by Jesus all things consist. This is who our God is. Folks, when it comes down to a time of uncertainty, we should inform our mind. We should think biblically of who our God is. He's not just transcendent in his sovereignty over all things, but he steps into creation, ordering rulers and powers, but also then ordering and sustaining creation for the good of his people and for his own glory. Folks, inform your fears during this time of uncertainty. Inform your fears with this God. He is actively at work ordering and sustaining our world. But then secondly, he's not only active during times of uncertainty in our world, but more specifically in our lives. In our lives, he's ordering circumstances and he's sustaining our needs. I love how the author of Ruth demonstrates this in this storyline. In chapter 2, 
Ruth decides to stay, take a risk. She goes into the fields to glean. And the narrator in chapter 2, verse 1, tips us off to the fact that as she's going into the field, there happens to be this man named Boaz, Boaz who was a redeemer, one who could buy back Naomi's field and also then potentially marry Ruth. This was everything in those days in terms of stability. And therefore, in these moments, the narrator says, oh, by the way, as she's taking this risk, there is a unique circumstance that is happening. And so in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, So Ruth set out, she gleaned in the field, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Chapter 2, verse 4, And behold, Boaz came to the field from Bethlehem. Now, who is orchestrating these situations? Is, is, is it just happenstance? Is that what the author wants us to see? Absolutely not. Remember, as we've talked about God's providence, the author is calling us to flip on the forensic blacklight on this story, to see kind of the fingerprints and the workings of, of God within this storyline. Oftentimes, when we think of that forensic blacklight, we're thinking of a crime scene. You flip that light on and you see the mess. You see the fingerprints. You see the struggle. Well, the story of Ruth is not a scene of crime, but it's a scene of blessing. It's calling us to kind of trace the gift back to the giver, to see his handiwork being displayed, even in organizing circumstances such that Ruth takes a risk to go out to the field and she just happens to come across Boaz, this man who had the potential to give her a stability in terms of uh, economic well-being, but as well as ordering her into the purposes of God that we'll see in just a little bit. And it didn't only happen as Ruth would step out into the field, but we see it in chapter 4 as well. We see uh, Boaz, who, who Boaz is going up to the city gates in chapter 4, and he's attempting to settle this issue of redemption. There's another redeemer who kind of stands in the way, and so Boaz has taken initiative to deal with this situation so that Ruth and Naomi can find this stability in a time of uncertainty. And what does the text say? Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And here's the same language as chapter 2, verse 3. And behold, the Redeemer, this other guy of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Again, it's another one of these situations where, as the reader, you're just saying, well, that was fantastic luck for them. You know, where is luck for me? Well, the fact of the matter is God is orchestrating these moments. As God works in their lives, ordering circumstances, so he is at work in your life, ordering circumstances. And so when it comes down to it, we must you must think biblically, although things may seem so out of place during this season. It was out of place for Ruth and Naomi. They came back from the land of Moab into Bethlehem with all kinds of uncertainty. How will they live? How will they be sustained? How will God be at work in their lives? Well, 
For us, we are in that place of uncertainty, and it's important that we do not cave to fear in these moments, be untethered from the truth of who our God is for us. The reality is that in moments of uncertainty, God is at work ordering our circumstances. But even beyond that, God's at work in our circumstances and sustaining our needs. For Naomi and Ruth, they came back from Moab, of course, in need of food and family. That fog of uncertainty surrounded them, but God providentially orders these circumstances not to just be like, oh, well, that was kind of unique, but it was specifically so that their needs could be met. Folks, this is the heart of God. He is not drawn away from moments of our uncertainty. He's drawn into moments of uncertainty. Even as Acts chapter 17, verse 25 says, it says, He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's sustaining us moment by moment by moment. Verse 26 He's sustaining us, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place. In other words, the circumstances that surround us, the uncertainty that surrounds us, is not uncertain to him. He is orchestrating and ordering life. And why? Why is he ordering life? Why do we have corona right now? We have to be very careful with that question. Because we want to we put the blame here, put the blame there. We, 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 we're drawn into the conspiracies of why this is happening. But according to God, he's allowing situations to take place. He's permitting situations to take place. He's in, in, engaging in these situations himself, as Acts chapter 17 would say, so that perhaps some would feel their way to him. God wants to be found in these moments of uncertainty. He will be put on display during these times of uncertainty. It's not time to get all worked up about the situations that are around us. It's to say, where is God working? It's to have eyes for God. It's to have a mind that thinks of God, the one who does work in our world and works in our lives during times of uncertainty. Folks, in the midst of uncertainties, you can know that you are where you're at for a purpose. If it's at home, there's purpose. If it's serving those who are sick, there's purpose. If it's sudden interaction with a coworker or a neighbor, there's purpose. If it's that you've randomly, even this morning, jumped online with us, there is purpose in these moments. It's not happenstance. It's God's providence. God is orchestrating things. God is at work. And in so, he is seeking to meet needs, both physically and spiritually. In Acts 17, like we said, he's working this way so that we would actually come and seek him out, that we would come to know him through these times. But even with Ruth and Naomi, physical supply, he's, he, he's, he's supplying their food and he's supplying family, he's supplying their needs through this storyline. But even, even in that, even in supplying their needs, the, 
the, the end goal wasn't just to supply their needs. The end goal was to actually take them deeper into a relationship with Him. Folks, for instance, it was God's way of helping Naomi come to a full realization that even through the greatest terrors of suffering, God remains both good and great for her. This is what she struggles with at the end of chapter 1. She, she, can, she could only see darkness in these moments. She could only entertain doubt. It was a fight to know that God was good and that God was great. But by chapter 4, she had come to clear to this place of clarity, to clearly see the fact that even through sufferings, God remains great and He remains good. He, he doesn't waste these times of suffering. He doesn't waste these times of uncertainty. He actually utilizes these times to prove Himself through it. If you are with us on Thursday as we did the care and prayer online, we referenced Corrie ten Boom's story. If you know, Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy were taken captive by the Nazi regime and they were in prison camp for some time, suffering in incredible ways during that time, being shamed in incredible ways during that time. And Corrie writes this about her sister. Her sister... Um, was just about to die due to some of the torture that she had undergone uh, while they were in prison. It was, it was just before even uh, Corey is, is released on a clerical error, another aspect perhaps of God's providence. But Corey writes this about suffering. She, she said that Betsy, uh, her sister, had been laid on a stretcher in their barracks. And there she was placed on the floor, and Corey says, I leaned down to make out Betsy's words. She states, must tell people what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. For they will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. Folks, when it comes down to our sufferings, oh, our, our sufferings, this time of uncertainty is a time, even as Betsy, just before expiring, giving way to death due to the torments that she had gone through. She had been in the deepest, darkest pit. She had been under the torment of that Nazi regime. She, she had faced it all, and she had learned from it, as Naomi had learned from her own sufferings. And what did they learn? They learned that God is present in the midst of our sufferings, that He is not some sort of one who stands back distant from our darkness. He is one who is attracted to our darkness. He's attracted to our sufferings. He's attracted to our seasons of uncertainty. And He comes to make a way for us. He comes to prove Himself through the suffering. So folks, don't despise the season of uncertainty. 
for it's expressly in times of uncertainty that God is actively ordering our circumstances, sustaining our needs, not so that we just might be okay, but that we might find him and go deeper in relationship to him. Don't despise this season of uncertainty that we are in. God is constantly at work in our lives, ordering our circumstances and sustaining our needs so that we might go deeper into relationship with him. Folks, our God is drawn into our needs. And and, and this is now most stunningly seen in the final aspect of God's providence. God is constantly at work in times of uncertainty for our redemption. God is attracted to our need. Is that not the reality of the gospel? That Jesus would come from heaven to earth, that he would take on the limitations of man, that he would walk in our shoes, that he would feel this life of uncertainty as we feel it, that he would suffer as we would suffer. This is the reality of the gospel, that God is kind of drawn in, he's attracted to our needs. It was true even for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, of course. As we've seen through the story, it's that yes, God provides Ruth and Naomi the food that they need, and yes, then eventually we see the love story unfold between Ruth and Boaz, they get married. And as they get married, it is amazing what God does. He stunningly provides for them conception. For 10 years in Ruth's previous marriage, she could not conceive. And now with Boaz, God does a miracle. He, He works a miracle to provide conception. And this child that comes becomes a man named Obed, who eventually, through his line, comes King David. And through the line of King David, as we've seen, comes Jesus. Folks, for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, they could not have conceived what incredible, majestic work God was doing in their times of uncertainty to ultimately bring through their line this Redeemer, Jesus. Folks, it was God in these moments, even with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, times of uncertainty, it was God who was fulfilling the ancient promise of redemption that he had given all the way back to Adam and Eve when sin entered the world, namely that an offspring would one day come, a Messiah figure, a true king who would redeem us from our own spiritual death, who would buy us back to God and ensure then that all things would be made new again. There's an end point to all our uncertainties. And it comes through this Redeemer, Jesus. It is Jesus who came. And folks, think about Palm Sunday. It's it's Jesus who came, who, who did not impose himself. He did not come with his army, his heavenly host. He did not come to impose himself, to establish his rule through, through war. He came and established his rule through sacrifice, through love. He gave his life 
for us upon that cross. This makes him one who is not only humble as he came in on that donkey, and not only one who is loving, but now one who is worthy of our worship. He is a worthy king. He is a worthy redeemer who has come and stepped into our uncertainties, suffered the worst so that our guilt might be cleared, so that even as we might stare death in the face, it will not be death to die, for Christ has overcome it. He is the true redeemer. And folks, God is actively working in times of uncertainty for our redemption. We know Christ has already accomplished all of this, but we also recognize that this ongoing work of redemption is still being played out. And how is it being played out? It's being played out through the church. For those who have come to faith in Jesus, we now have the privilege of being the hands and feet of Jesus. We now get to be the people who proclaim the good news of Jesus so that more people might know something of this redemption. Jesus has come. He has done a work, but now the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church and the Holy Spirit is doing a work in and through the church, a work of redemption. And one day Christ will return and He will do His final work of redemption in seeing all things brought to justice, seeing all things made new again. God is constantly at work in this season. Even as God worked through Ruth and Naomi to bring about a Redeemer, Jesus, God is working through us. You see, part of God's providence isn't just that God works as a one-man team. He works through the work of others. And in this season, in this economy of time, what God is doing, He's working through the church. He's demonstrating His love. He's demonstrating His mercy. He's demonstrating His said, His covenantal kindness through His church. In moments of uncertainty, it's not time for the church to back away. It's not for time for the church to get confused. It's not time for the church to ultimately isolate. It's time for the church to demonstrate the glory of Christ to a world in desperate need. It's why we're here. It's why we are here. Folks, as those in Christ, we can, we can look at death. It doesn't mean that we, we, we are unwise. and we, we abide by the standards that have set, been set forth before us. But, but when it comes down to it, folks, we have the privilege as those in Christ. We can stare death in the face and say, well, you know, death is a scary thing, but ultimately my Redeemer has overcome it. And therefore, knowing that my greatest fears have been dealt with, I can now live to love on others, to be merciful to others, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Folks, when it comes down to it, then in a season like this, in a season of uncertainty, God is providentially working through our work, which means in this season, prayer matters. Prayer doesn't matter if God's not going to providentially work through it. Why pray? God desires to work through our work of prayer. As we see even from the storyline of, uh, of Ruth and Boaz, especially in chapter 3, not only does prayer matter during these times, but character matters. It's not time to bend, even, even in a time where we have a lot more rest and we have a lot more, perhaps, time for entertainment. Be careful what you're taking in. 
character matters during these seasons to say, I'm not going to trust in my own understandings. I'm not going to be taken, be taken by apathy. I'm not going to be just kind of uh, unfiltered in what I put before me. No, character matters during these times for the church. It's important that we do not trust in our own understanding, that we do not get lazy, do, that we do not get apathetic, but we be a people who trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Character matters during these times of uncertainty. I I would also throw out there, even as we see in the storyline of Ruth chapter 4, and this may be a little dicey, especially for folks who may not be a part of our church, but in this time, the prophetic matters. In Ruth chapter 4, as, as Boaz and Ruth are married, it's, it's the eruption of the neighborhood ladies that, that surround them and then surround Naomi, and they, they, they declare prophetic benediction over others. These kind of things don't matter if God hasn't in some way providentially determined to work through our work of blessing. Bless one another. Even if it's through text message or, 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 or online, through messenger, just, just saying, hey, I've thought about you, and th- this, this is the blessing that I feel like the Lord has put upon my heart for you. Proclaim that blessing over them. At the end of this gathering, we're going to do a benediction. What's the point? Are we just rehearsing little text in Scripture just to feel like we've done something religious? We believe that as it's declared, God is going to work to bless his people. So we need to be careful, of course, what we're proclaiming. But we also should bless one another during this time. Prayer matters. Character matters. The prophetic matters. And ultimately, even as we are discussing, gospel proclamation matters. Take opportunity to to speak well of Christ to others during this season. Maybe it's not going to be shoulder to shoulder. Maybe it'll be six feet apart. But nonetheless, take advantage of these moments. Your prayer matters. Your character matters. Prophetic blessing matters. Gospel proclamation matters. And why? Because God in times of uncertainty works through our work. And therefore, in some sense, I'm just going to go here, we can expect We can expect that God will be faithful to us to meet our needs, to take us deeper into relationship to him. But we could also expect in some way God may want to do the miraculous among us. He may not just want to do the miraculous of healing. He may want to do the miraculous of saving souls. Is it any less miraculous? It's all the more, right? That he would save souls. Folks, we can expect in these kind of seasons that the lavish love of Christ will be made. Maybe you feel like you're in that deep, dark pit. He will prove to you that in this season of deep darkness, that he is there with you and he goes deeper still. God is on the move. He's constantly working for our redemption and doing so oftentimes through the work of his people. Folks, what might he be providentially accomplishing through you during this season? What is he doing through you during 
this season. Again, it's not time to stand back in fear and just get caught up into the, to the, to the worldly perspective of what's happening. It's time to think biblically. What might he providentially be accomplishing through you during this time of uncertainty? Folks, it's important, by way of conclusion, that we would think biblically. When we think biblically, we, we gain clarity, but we also gain the comfort of our God. Our God is actively working in our world, in our lives, and for our redemption. May it bring clarity and comfort to our souls in a time of uncertainty. Let's pray together. Father, I, I just want to intercede in closing for those who may feel that they are surrounded by darkness. Maybe the circumstances of life just seem compound to compound this issue of, of darkness. Uh, perhaps you'd even use the word depression. God, I pray even right now that you would show yourself mighty, that your word would rule and reign in the midst of, of darkness. God, thank you that in suffering, that in darkness, you, you, you don't have us go through that uh, simply to strengthen ourselves, but you have us go through that to prove yourself. You prove yourself through our pain again and again and again, but we can take hope that you're a God who has entered our pain. You have entered our sufferings. You have come for us. You have died for us, and you have overcome our greatest ailment, namely death itself. So God, even right now, for those who may face the darkness of uncertainty, would you break in by your spirit? Would you show them something of truth? Would you bind back the evil one in these moments who would, who would kind of uh, cast darkness upon our minds? God, may it be that we, we would be able in your grace to awake, O oh sleep, rise from the dead so that Christ may shine upon us. Christ, shine upon our darkness, we pray. Break in, break into the cloud of darkness. And where is, there is darkness, God, would you grant joy? Would you grant joy that is inexpressible? You promised this to us in your word. And so we are simply, we are simply uh, praying your promise that you are the one who even in trials, who even un in uncertainties, you give us a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So, Father, by your Spirit, would you do that work? Shine in the midst of darkness. Make the darkness tremble. And God, would you bring your people from a place of heaviness into a place of rejoicing? Even right now, God, we pray that you would do the miracle. We, we will not withstay your hand. We will not assume that your hand isn't big enough, that even in this moment that you would do a work to bring joy into the hearts of those who carry great heaviness. Bring your light into the darkness, we pray, even now by your Spirit. We confess even now that it, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is joy. 
the Spirit of God, make yourself known. Establish your presence with those who are in the pit. And may your joy, that supernatural joy, be known. In Jesus' name, amen.